Welcome to the New to Crypto podcast, designed to guide you through the crypto landscape with pinpoint accuracy, created for the new and intermediate crypto investor. Join your host, Crypto Travels Michael, as he takes you through the different facets of getting started and succeeding in your crypto journey. New to Crypto podcast brings you new episodes daily, Monday through Friday, with surprise bonus episodes sometimes on the weekend. Let me ask you, are you new to crypto? Don't know where to start? Are you more experienced but have questions? Then you're in the right place. This podcast is designed for you. Coming at you from the Trading Center in the Lifestyle Design Studio, here's your host, Crypto Travels Michael. Brave Wallet is the first secure crypto wallet built natively in a Web3 crypto browser. No extension required. You can store, manage, and grow your portfolio, get NFTs, and multi-chain support. Download the Brave Privacy Browser at brave.com slash new to crypto and click on the wallet icon to get started. Today on the show, I have Mason Jappa, CEO and co-founder of Blockware Solutions. Blockware Solutions is an industry leader in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency mining services, including hardware, mining rigs, as well as professional mining and staking pools, masternode operations, and more. Definitely do not miss this episode. I'd like to welcome Mason to the podcast. Mason, it's a pleasure to have you here. Hey, Michael. Thanks a lot for having me on. Really excited about today's session. There's a lot going on right now, and there's certainly a lot of topics we can cover. And I'm really excited to share my story and talk about Blockware and and talk about a a few different subjects um, outside of Blockware, like mining and, and staking and infrastructure. Awesome, Mason. It's a pleasure to have you here, as I mentioned earlier. And hey, before we dive in, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I would love to. So so thanks for having me on. So myself, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri and came from a wood manufacturing background. My, my grandfather started a company in the 1970s based out of Bridgeton, Missouri. And my dad ended up taking over that company. So I grew up with this you know, entrepreneurial drive growing up. You know, I always wanted to start my own company and I viewed myself like the Tommy boy of these wood manufacturing plants. I was always around and I wanted to learn. Um, so with that spirit, um, I ended up going to uh, Indiana University's Kelly School of Business. Um, I had a degree in finance, almost went down the banking path, but realized, you know, that's not what I wanted to do. I really wanted to start a startup. So I ended up getting a master's in information systems. And it was also during my college years that I found Bitcoin. And, you know, I was a poker player and I saw a Bitcoin, which was, you know, at the time I viewed as a currency that could be utilized for services or for playing poker or for other other type of um, utilizations. And and I was just fascinated with Bitcoin from that point on. So in about 2015, um, I had started a management consulting career. I decided that I wanted to start mining Bitcoin. And I kind of had a unique setup with these wood manufacturing plants. We had, you know, a warehouse, some extra power that my dad said I could utilize with, with decent energy rates. And I started setting up a Bitcoin mine um, and I started ordering the machines. And I realized then that it was the market was very fragmented when it came to ordering, you know, miners. You would pay China in cryptocurrency, which was scary at the time, you know, based on my life savings. And then I would hope that these machines would show up, you know, months later. And then lo and behold, you know, three to four months later, these machines would show up. Um, so I started plugging them in and building this and, and I saw, you know, returns and I saw crypto becoming more adopted. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. So I, I started growing that farm and kind of rolling my profits. And then I realized that I could start selling off these machines for, you know, multiples of what I paid for. 
And that's when I wanted to start a mining sourcing company. And that's where the foundation of Blockware Solutions came up. So I called two of my college friends and started Blockware Solutions in 2017. And our goal was just to be the trusted, transparent Bitcoin mining sourcing company or, or altcoin mining sourcing company. And we started out, you know, putting Craigslist ads out in the top three cities of every state. And we took some hilarious phone calls and emails. And, and over time, we just grew and grew. And as we grew, we wanted to verticalize. And, you know, really, that's where like my story, you know, came in from 2017 to now, like the, the growth of Blackware, you know, how we did it you know, verticalizing, you know, moving into staking, getting into energy, you know, going to building our own data centers and hosting facilities. It, it was a fascinating time. Um, it's amazing to see the adoption. And um, part of my goal too in 2017 was to bring mining to the United States. So you have to think back to that time point, you know, I, I guess the USA was like 0.4% of global mining, right? Um, I, we wanted to decentralize the network. China was probably like 80 to 90% of Bitcoin mining, right? Um, so I know this is a long, a long intro, but I'm really excited to talk about it. So we can, you know, deep dive into this, these subjects, but that's, that's, I think my core background. And then, you know, now I'm here and I'm really excited and, and wow, you know, the USA, we're at like 40% of global mining. So I think my, my original thesis came true. Awesome, man. Thanks for breaking that down. So many gold nuggets in what you just shared. Wow. You took me down memory lane that 2017 is actually when I, when I got into crypto, I'm a friend of mine and a pretty successful real estate investor. And he introduced me to this thing called Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And I was in Los Angeles hanging out with him and he took me down the whole story. And And then you mentioned poker. Uh, it's a little known fact to the audience, but I used to be a high roller in Vegas when I was 22 years old, designed a winning system to beat the house in, uh, in Baccarat of all things. And it just made me remember of uh, when you brought up poker, because of course I play poker as well. But hey, let's jump into Blockware Solutions. So before we get into some of the, the detailed uh, fun information we're going to cover, what is your company, Blockware Solutions, and what products and services, what do you what do you offer? Obviously, it's in mining, the mining industry, but can you unpack and deliver for, for our listeners, you know, what about Blockware? Yeah, great to share, share that uh, poker background. I always forget to mention I, I I was a chess player growing up. I became a state chess champion, chess player in kindergarten, and then I played all the way through high school. So wow. like, I think that like mathematical, logical, you know, sense of myself, you know, I, I apply those skills today. But still, so for Blockware, um, what we do, we have, you know, really I think of it, you know, we're a multifaceted company, and we're you know we're super unique. You know, I'd say we have you know fifteen to twenty revenue streams. Um, but one major focus is we're a vertically integrated Bitcoin mining company and we're focused on institutions. So uh, we have a data center. Uh, we have two data centers, one in Pennsylvania and one in Kentucky um, that we build. Um, so you can come to us. You can buy mining rigs. You can either buy the mining rig with hosting where we host on your behalf and you sign an energy contract with us. Or we can just sell you the mining rig and ship it to you know wherever you're at globally. Um, as well, on top of that, we want to layer on products. So we built a Bitcoin mining miner management system. Uh, we have a pool that you can sign up with. We wanted everything in-house so we can control, you know, every facet of Bitcoin mining. And now we're building some new exciting, you know, software products as well that we haven't rolled out around mining itself. And then we have a couple other arms of the business. We, we offer staking as a service. Um, so we do institutional staking. We operate about eight different nodes, you know, across, you know, solid projects that we invest in or, or we have investors out in. And then we also offer the ability for a company that, you know, wants somebody to manage a node for them and already has funds. Uh, we will do that for them, you know, at a small fee. 
Um, so that's a really exciting arm that we're growing. And then we have a third arm I like to call our media arm. It's called Blackbird Intelligence. Um, so we put out, you know, leading research. We have a, a really nice newsletter led by Will Clemente that we put out every week, you know, covering a range of topics. We have, you know, a large presence on Twitter and we do, you know, interviews just like yourself every week and, and all the content's free, you know, dating back to 2017, you know, something that we wanted to become was research leaders and thought leaders. And to do so, you have to put in the hard work and do the research and write your own reports. So that's been a focus and it's been, you know, really taken off and you know, all those facets are really exciting for us. Awesome. Yeah. I will have to have, maybe have you come back on the show and we can do a, maybe a, maybe for video for YouTube and we can break down some of your uh, business intelligence in the crypto industry. And, uh, no, that's, that's such added value that you, you and your team are providing. Mason, you're a leader in your industry and I can't think of anybody better to ask, you know, our listeners, some, some of them are new. And they're new to crypto and they want to know more and they're just thirsting for more information to get into, you know, this area. And we also have listeners that are very experienced, but they want to know about specific topics. And my question to you is, for our listeners, what are mining rigs? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, sometimes I challenge myself with explaining, but I think of it quite simply. Think of them like high-powered, purpose-built servers whose goal 24-7 hours of the day is to mine Bitcoin. and they are so they're pointed at the Bitcoin network. They're processing transactions. They're mining blocks, and they're paid for their services. Think of them like the backbone of the Bitcoin itself. They're the infrastructure of Bitcoin in the proof of work network. Okay, and that brings us to the next question: What are mining and staking pools? Because these are questions that we get from the audience, and you know I can't think of anyone better to answer these questions than you. Sure. So so mining pools exist because. For Bitcoin, it's extremely competitive. And, and the same goes for other networks that are in proof of work, including Ethereum, which is still proof of work. So the, a mining pool was created because it's so difficult to mine Bitcoin. You join a group of individuals to increase your likelihood of mining Bitcoin. There's two different types of mining pools. One is called PPLNS. That means you're paid out whenever the pool mines a block, right? The pool mines a block, you're paid out for you know the 6.25 Bitcoin distributed based on hash power. Plus, you know, any transaction fees that you accumulate over that time frame. And then there's PPS structure, pay per share. That means you're paid out consistently regardless if the pool mines a block. I like to say PPS takes out the luck factor, and I recommend that for most miners. So you're paid out daily by the pool based on your hash rate contribution. Pools exist simply because Bitcoin is so difficult to mine. And unless you're one of the largest miners in the world, you can't run, you know, you can't mine solo. Um, and so that's, that's why pools exist. On the staking side, I like to think of stakers as the bank of other networks that aren't using energy and mining rigs to be the backbone or the security of their network. So the val stakers are the ones that are operating a node where, where people can deposit their currency into the bank. They receive interest from the projects themselves. So the, the, the projects work with the, the validator nodes or the staking node operators and pay them interest for staking their coins for a period of time. And then the stakers release the, the yield that the participants deposit into their node on a set basis based on the problem. So think of stakers like the banking infrastructure for non-proof of work projects. Very well said, Mason. Awesome. You had mentioned previously that you're, you, you have institutions for clients. Are they all institutions or what type of customers uh, do you have? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's tough to label an institution in your mind. I think Blockware really, we started out retail, right? We were one of the first companies in the world that allowed Joe from Kansas, who had $5,000, 
to buy a Bitcoin mining rig or, or buy and post a Bitcoin mining rig. Over the years, we've evolved. Um, so for us, our minimum org quantity is five machines. And that may not be an institutional client, but in five machines, my head with hosting costs about $50,000. So that's, you know, a large sum of money for, you know, for, for a lot of us and even for myself. So that's why, you know, we, we label institutional grade. And the same goes for staking. You know, typically on the staking side, we're working with participants and individuals that have a large, you know, sum to start the node. But think of staking, you know, it's decentralized. Once I launch my node, anyone can deposit staking, you know, coins in my node. I have people depositing, you know, one Luna in my Luna node validator, right? Once I launch the node, it's really not institutional. You know, any retail participant can can stake with our, our validator node and network. But for me, like I, I view an institution as someone at fifty thousand dollar investment, and you know, that's someone we want to target. As you grow as a company, you realize, you know, if someone buys one machine from you with hosting, it's really hard to manage. You know, I'd rather have 200 clients with five machines than a thousand clients with one machine. It's just, you know, as you scale and as you grow, um, I really love retail, but it just makes it, you know, easier for my customer service and easier for me to scale when I when I put a minimum order quantity on there. Yeah, I can definitely appreciate that. So let's talk about your minimum order five machines for a moment. How much Bitcoin or Ethereum can be mined per year from, say, those five machines? So that's a great question. So um, for us, we're, we're not super focused on Ethereum, um, but let me pull up my mining calculator. If, if, another another altcoin. Yeah, so um, it could be Zcash, for example. Um, you know, we we I think the Equash Algo is fairly stable, and and I'm I'm really careful with which which altcoins that we participate in because um uh, you know the networks are very competitive, and if on an altcoin miner, if someone rolls out a new machine and you already purchased, you may have purchased a brand new machine, but if another competitive manufacturer releases a new machine, well, that machine that you just bought could be worth nothing because this machine's you know more powerful and more efficient. So back to the use case of five machines. So if you buy 500 terahash machines, that's 500 terahash. Those that user is going to mine about 0.06 Bitcoin a month, and that that translates to about 0.72 Bitcoin a year. And for us, we make it easy. You have a capex investment on the machines. You have a deposit in the hosting contract, and then every month we just bill you a, an electricity rate, right, multiplied by your consumption. So each month you'll get an easy electricity bill. You keep all the Bitcoin. We, we don't touch your Bitcoin. You input your wallet address. We don't input wallet address for you. We, you know, we want to make sure this is very secure and you can do so with the Bitcoin as you please. And then you can pay us monthly, you know, however you please. We take credit card. We take ACH or bank payments. Um, we're very flexible on payment landscape. Um, I like to, and I think, you know, when people talk about ROI, which we'll get into, I think it really is dictated by your strategy, right? Um, if you're bullish on Bitcoin, you should be accumulating, you know, your mining rewards as much as you can. Because let's say if Bitcoin hits seventy thousand dollars at the end of the year, the Bitcoin that you mine now in January at thirty-five thousand, well, in in December that that Bitcoin's worth seventy thousand. So, so when people ask me ROI, it's a really hard question to answer because there's a lot of factors that um, you know play into your rewards and your strategy. Okay, so your company sells the hardware and basically what's required to get set up. Does your team install like the the equipment and say, let's say I want to purchase five machines in my building? And my other question is, is how can someone actually get into having, you know, purchasing and, and, and actually ultimately getting this operational? I have a friend who's a non-crypto, like really large investor, and he actually filled up three warehouses with thousands of mining rigs uh, just to hold everything for many years. But in that, in that situation, he had a friend who was able to, you know, help get and purchase the equipment and get everything started. But 
Yeah. So for us, so we do, we make this like a white glove service, right? We, we operate a pool, we have the minor management software, and we have a team um, and, and a site that we own with energy contracts where we deploy the machines. You know, we build the racks, we source the transformers and all the electrical gear, and we have an energy contract. So we'll, if you buy five machines from us, we'll install it for you. We'll manage it and maintain it for you. And then you'll receive your Bitcoin rewards daily. And then we have a Zendex support system. If you have to say, hey, Mason, you know, one of my machines is down. We'll look into it and see, you know, if you can fix it on site or we can coordinate with the repair facilities and, and repair the machines as well. Typically, new machines have one year warranties. Um, we're very seasoned at working with the manufacturers and we'll get those, you know, sent off for warranty repair. Uh, we try to make this as seamless as possible so that someone with no experience can come to us and we'll have a way of making this easy for them. And I think that's really important. And you'd be surprised, you know, if, on seven figure transactions, I have people that are buying five machines that are far more educated. So we try to make it easy. We don't judge anyone that comes our way. You know, we're really willing to work with anyone. And my goal is to, you know, make this as seamless as possible. Okay. And, and what you mentioned, it, did I understand that right? The, the install can be in my facility or, or can also be in yours and managed is, or is yeah, it either, so there, either good or? Question. Good question. So, um, you can come to us and just buy machines and we can ship them to you. We actually have an advisory service where if you want, if you need assistance with, um, sourcing electrical infrastructure or knowing how to set up your own mine, you can pay us on an advisory monthly contract to help you and teach you how to all the bells and whistles. And then you can end the contract when you figured it out. And then you can come back to us with questions. So we have a booming advisory practice and it's very practical in this space because a lot of people, you know, are, are want to start out and maybe have a good energy arbitrage and, and think they can leverage. Um, the second option is it's installed in our facility. We only manage machines that are installed in, 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 all, in our facility, right? You need physical touch of those machines. The cool part is though, Mike, we didn't talk about this. You're in Mexico City. You could do business with Blockware and you could manage your machines and virtually, right? Um, you can see that how they're doing. You can receive your rewards virtually and you can, um, we have a minor management system where you can remote boot them and see your, you know, see your electricity consumption. You have all the statistics at your arms and that's with software. So it's important that you have that virtual aspect and then we have that physical management aspect where, where we're watching on these machines installing them on our physical sites. Okay, excellent. Yeah, we'll have to talk more in the future. I'm interested myself. Uh, that brings me to the next question. What is the amount of time on average? Because I've had people ask me this as well. What is the amount of time on average in order to recoup your upfront cost of like purchasing equipment, et cetera? And obviously it probably depends on what you're mining, yes? Yes. Um, so, you know, Bitcoin is usually what I push people to mind. It's the most stable long term. It's, it's paid off. And I don't think like there's like from, from a, from a hardware standpoint, there's going to be, you know, vast improvements in technology. So like the newest machine that you buy now is going to be profitable for the next, you know, four, four or five years. Right. And that's a long time horizon. The ROI question, very loaded question because there's so many different things that can dictate, you know, when you're going to truly ROI. Um, right now, there's obviously a lot of interesting macro things going on um, that may impact Bitcoin price because, you know, front and center, what affects how much money you make on a daily basis? Well, the price of Bitcoin, right? It, and, and, it, and how it's measured. And then you have Bitcoin maximalists who say one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, right? Um, so I'm just after the Bitcoin. But, you know, my short answer is I think, you know, if you went, if you, if you partner with us right now, I'm, I'm confident that you do ROI in about a year and a half. Um, so let's say, you know, roughly 18 months. Um, that could be sooner if Bitcoin outperforms, right? And, and your, and your strategy is accumulation. Um, the value of that goes up and something. And when you ask me ROI, you know, there's something I think that a lot of people miss 
in their models. And, and I like, to, you know, just like Michael Saylor might say, like all of your models are broken, all your models are flawed. One thing I see even at, from public companies, I talk to some of the largest miners in the world, they always forget that their miners have a, a, have a residual value. And I like to say that mining rig prices are perfectly positively correlated to the price of Bitcoin. So if Bitcoin goes up in price, your machine prices will go up. If it goes down, machine prices go down. But there's a net residual ending value of those machines. So when you ask me about 18 months, well, tomorrow, if, if Bitcoin goes up in price, you bought a machine from me, well, then you've already made your money back and maybe your machine's already gone up in value. So in three days, you could be net positive return, but you know you need to have liquidity of that machine. And that's why we have a whole brokerage arm. We help people buy and sell machines. So in that aspect, so I've had clients over the years who have bought machines from me. Not only did their machines go up in value over their term length, but also they accumulated all their Bitcoin that they mined. So they're, they hit home runs and, and I'm super happy for them. When my clients succeed, I'm happy. Um, they'll come back and do more business or for people far away. You know, I want people to win. And that, that that's something that I, I really strive for. So anyone that partners with us, if they win, you know, it ends up getting a good name for ourselves and, and they'll do more business for us. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for breaking that down. I, I know the listeners are really thanking you because that's a that's a major question people have. If Bitcoin is, say, the major one that most of your miners are mining, what would be the second the second most popular or the, you know, uh, the second most lucrative in terms of return on investment right now? Yeah, so I mean, right now it's Ethereum. Um, so Ethereum mining is certainly very profitable. And if you look at the Ethereum network, you see gas fees or GUI. Gas fees are transaction costs. And for all of you Ethereum users, and I, you know, I started investing in Ethereum fairly early, and I understand the network well. Those transaction costs are paid to miners, right? The miners are paid to be transactors and, and validators of that network. So when you're on OpenSea buying an NFT and you're kicking your, your head saying, why am I paying $200 in fee, just gas fees to buy that NFT? Well, that's because the, the network is congested and there's too much transactions going on. So in order for you to catch a miner's um, attention, you need to pay a high fee so that they go mine your transaction. Um, so Ethereum is very profitable right now. However, you know, with, with profitability comes risk. So with the Ethereum network, they're in the middle of a migration from proof of work, where you're using energy and mining rigs and, and ASICs to proof of stake. So do I tell people to invest into Ethereum mining right now? No, because I think it's risky. And and for all reasons, I think Ethereum, you know, finally is supposed to migrate to proof of stake potentially this year. They've been saying it, you know, this year for the past several years. So I'd say Ethereum is number two. And then, you know, you have to be careful because then you, a lot of the other profitable coins that you can mine are based on the Ethereum algorithm. So if Ethereum moves from proof of work to proof of stake, then where are all those Ethereum miners going to go? Well, they're going to go to all the other altcoins that are profitable. So it's going to create difficulty on those networks. Then you get into, you know, some other algorithms. I like Equihash, which is, you know, Zcash is based off, you know, Zocash, um, Zencash. Um, I think Equihash is fairly stable. I don't see, you know, new rigs coming out, you know, on that network that were vastly better than the current. So uh, we've been selling some Zcash miners. And that's, all, you know, Dash historically has been a good coin to mine, you know, Decorate as well. But, you know, right now those landscapes are tough. You know, I'm very careful when, when if I'm pushing a rig to my client that's an altcoin, that means I'm extremely confident. And I'm also mining that coin too, because I don't want a situation where your mining rig is not going to be worthless in a short period of time. Um, I have to have conviction. Okay, man. Thanks for sharing that. You mentioned earlier that, you know, it's it's currently for BTC mining, it's what, 6.25 per block? 
And yep. how much more time do we have before that is re- reduced and split? Oh, it's a great question. So every four years, there's a halving event. Um, think of, think about it like the supply of Bitcoin that's released daily is cut in half, and that that's directly tied to blocks. So right now we're at six point two five Bitcoin is released per block. Right now a block is mined, you know, every ten minutes. And there's a whole conversation with how block mining works, right? There's something called difficulty. Difficulty typically adjusts every two weeks, and that's based on the network hash rate, right? If hash rate goes up, that means we're mining blocks faster and difficulty resets. This algorithm, it's mathematically perfect, and the system that was created is amazing. And I know I'm answering this in a a long way, but there's a halving that takes place every four years. The last halving took place in May of 2020. So the next halving is going to be roughly around May of 2024. The exact date actually will um, isn't perfectly forecasted because it changes based on the network, right? If we're moving at a faster pace, it could be a little bit faster than last year. Um, but every four years, the the net supply is cut in half. So that means in in May of 2024, the amount that you mine per block will move down to 3.125. And think of it this way: you know, the net Bitcoin that you earn from mining is going to be cut in half. There's something else that factors in though that miners are paid for which is called transaction fees. So miners receive within blocks groups of transactions. And I think of them like a bonus. So when Mason sends Michael one Bitcoin, there's a transaction fee that you see on top of that. So if you're buying Bitcoin on an exchange, you see that there's a there's a there's a, a line for the fee. That's the fee that you pay a miner to to make your transaction and, and move it to the ledger and secure it in blockchain inevitably, right? That Mason and Michael transaction will forever be on that ledger. It's a giant accounting ledger. Um, and miners are paid to validate that, that, that transaction, right? So what's interesting, you know, over time, as there's more halvings that take place, we're going to be living more and more off transaction fees. And Bitcoin network utilization is going up. So transaction fees are going to be a more part of our fixture. Um, but something that's really interesting, Michael, is if you look at the supply schedule right now, 90% of Bitcoin has been mined, right? Meaning that we're, we're at 90% of, of all the 21 million that will ever exist, 90% has been mined. There's 10% left to mine. I estimate that that 10% remaining will be mined by the year 2140. That's the number that all of us use, all the experts use. But what's fascinating actually is in the next 10 years, 7% of that next 10% will be released to the network. So after 10 years, all the miners in the world are going to be chasing the remaining 3% of the supply. So if I'm a game theorist and I'm thinking about when am I going to deploy capital? Well, you deploy right now because you're chasing a massive amount of supply that's released over the next 10 years on one of the world's most scarce assets. Brave Wallet is the first secure crypto wallet built natively in a Web3 crypto browser. What's Web3? Web3 is freedom from big tech and Wall Street. More control and better privacy. But there's a weak point in Web3, your crypto wallet. Most wallets are browser extensions, a Web2 technology. That means the same old risks, app spoofing, phishing scams, and theft. Brave Wallet is different. Brave Wallet is the first secure wallet built natively in a Web3 crypto browser, no extension required. With Brave Wallet, you can buy, store, send, and swap assets, manage NFTs, even connect other wallets and dApps, all from the security of the best privacy browser on the market. Whether you're new to crypto or a seasoned pro, it's time to ditch those risky extensions. It's time to switch to Brave Wallet. Download Brave at brave.com forward slash new to crypto 
and click on the wallet icon to get started. Thanks for sharing that. You know, that was actually my next question and you you already answered it. So that's phenomenal. You know, there's been a transformation with some like abandoned industrial towns in terms of crypto mining. Can you can you unpack and share that with with the listeners? Yes, and it, and I think it's what well, what's happening in the energy infrastructure market is fascinating. So you're seeing repurposing of assets and perfect stabilization of grids by adding Bitcoin miners to um, the network. So what you saw and what you're seeing is you had all these large, for example, coal plants, right? And many of them aren't running anymore. You know, at that coal plant, there is transformers, there's a building, there was an energy contract. So miners who come into that building, land a new energy contract. This could be in rural Kentucky, it could be in rural Texas. They could take the transformer and the infrastructure that's already there that was offline. They could set up racks, buy their networking gear and, and start mining there, right? All the, like you're, you're seeing repurposing of, of otherwise obsolete infrastructure. And that's also happening on the natural gas front and, and that's happening in, in the hydro front. You see there's, there's something called non-rival energy and that simply is otherwise wasted energy. Miners are coming in and taking this otherwise wasted energy and converting it. And miners are, are also taking this, this obsolete energy, right? This energy that wasn't being utilized and maybe it was a coal plant and they're turning it into utilized energy. And that what they're doing is they're stabilizing the grid. They're making it so that your residential rates are stable. If you have higher energy utilization and you don't have a grid network that's built out and stabilized, then you're going to be paying higher energy costs. And especially if you have outages, what you're seeing is miners are, are willing to redirect their power. Um, and you saw that recently in Texas, you know, companies like Windstone, when that big storm came in and a lot of people lost power, the energy companies in the grid and the governor and, and people called on the miners saying, hey, can you redirect your power so that we can have power, you know, in Austin? And the miners are like, yes, of course. And, and of course, that's called curtailment. They're actually paid an energy premium for redirection. I think natural gas is a fascinating use case. And I think the United States has bad regulatory policy when it comes to that. And we're going to talk about this. You know, there's an ESG narrative, right? We're talking about carbon emissions. Well, in the United States, it's legal. And and the way that the natural gas producers are told to dispose of their excess natural gas is just light it on fire. Well, when you light natural gas on fire, it reduces a ridiculous amount of carbon emissions into our atmosphere. Well, what miners are doing is they're going to those natural gas wells. They're building up you know, the excess supply so that you don't have to light that natural gas on fire with Bitcoin miner consumption, and they're stabilizing the well, and they're actually reducing emissions. So there's a lot of, you know, when you think about, you know, what can you pick on Bitcoin about? Environmentally, people pick on A, it's energy utilization, and B, the carbon footprint that's generated from Bitcoin. And there's way more counter arguments, in my opinion, and positivity coming out of Bitcoin mining than you may hear, you know, on a daily basis about from other people and other narratives that are pushed you know, by different participants in the network. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for sharing the natural gas one. I, you know, I didn't, I actually didn't know all those details. I have a friend who has a small mining operation and he actually powers it with solar and there was a larger upfront cost to do so, but it was much better for the environment long-term. Yeah. I, I think solar is interesting. You know, solar is, requires a lot of it's very dense and requires a lot of land and it's not a perfect um energy contributor because you can only you know the sun's only out for you know 10 12 hours a day so what's happening the other 12 hours well you're going to need batteries to store the excess solar generated power and the battery technology you know is there you know test you have tesla battery but a lot of these solar farms don't have that so you you just have a lot of waste and, and solar farms take up a massive amount of land you know as populous grows you know land 
usage is, is going to come front and center. You know, I think nuclear is extremely efficient. Um, you see wind power makes sense. Um, but same thing with wind. If it's not windy, then you're not generating. So you need to like, the grid needs to have a balance of a lot of different electricity use cases. And a lot of people pick on the grid. You know, there could be still coal power coming from that. But, you know, you, you ask those people, do, do you want power at home or, or not? Unfortunately, in the way that in the world that we live in right now, you know, I'm all about clean. I think clean energy is great, but our grid and infrastructure isn't there yet. So you need to have some fossil fuel energy generators in existence so that Mason can get power at home or Mike can get power at home. Like otherwise, you know, you can't rely on some of, of infrastructure that's just not there yet. We're we're years out from having that, and I think it's going to be great. You know, hydro, wind, nuclear, natural gas. You know that. Clean energy is a great narrative to push, and Bitcoin miners are certainly aware of that. We have to; there has to be some a balance. There has to be other fossil fuel energy generation in order to support the energy grid and, and make sure that we all have power and, and you know our economy and products can be made, etc. Absolutely, man. Thanks for sharing that, uh, Mason. I'll tell you, we've covered so much in a short time together. What else would you like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I think, you know, it's been really interesting. I think you're seeing, you know, if you look in the last you know, two years, you're seeing a lot of public mining, co- or a lot of mining companies become public front and center. I think, you know, Ryan and Marathon led the path and it's been fascinating to see, you know, the markets price in. And there's a lot of, you know, large institutions that, you know, they can't have exposure to Bitcoin. So they get exposure by buying Bitcoin mining stocks. So you're seeing a lot of saturation and there's a lot of people chasing, you know, what I, I said before. They're chasing this, you know, 10%, the 7% of the 10% over the next 10 years. Um, so we're seeing a lot of saturation in the public markets. You're seeing policy come out and you're seeing, you know, state by state policy. There's states that have, they're incentivizing miners to come mine there, like Kentucky and Texas and Wyoming. Um, that's very positive for the network, you know, tax benefits, other things. And we're creating jobs. We're very energy conscious. I think every, there's a lot of positivity that comes out, you know, from Bitcoin miners, which are hard workers. You know, we're, Working 24 hours a day trying to, you know, support a new financial and revolutionary system. Um, so I think it's, it's also good. Like, you know, you see the DOJ is rolling out, you know, um, you know, support of an FBI group that's going to, you know, chase bad actors. I don't think it's a bad thing. There's a lot of scammers and there's a lot of vulnerabilities that, you know, people aren't storing or transacting well. Um, you know, Biden was supposed to release some type of cryptocurrency policy this week. Well, I don't think that's happening anymore because we have a lot of other stuff going on. You know, policy and regu- regulation aren't necessarily bad things. I think there needs to be open dialogue between miners and Bitcoin participants and, and altcoin participants and governments to ensure that, you know, we're rolling out the proper policy. So, you know, anytime you see headline, headlines like that, you know, it's usually, I usually view it as kind of bullish for the network, as long as the policies, you know, aren't necessarily bad. And I think, uh, I think miners and stakers are going to get, get a lot of clarity and they're going to be treated properly based on you know, what I've read and people I've spoken to. So, you know, it's really interesting and fascinating to see how fast this has all moved. You know, keep in mind, Bitcoin was, you know, is barely 10 years old, right? Ethereum's, you know, like five years, you know, six years old. Like this is all new technology and it's amazing. I feel like we're in the 1980s of the internet boom that happened in the 90s and 2000s. But I think it'll be here to stay. I don't think we'll see a crash. Absolutely. No, it's an exciting time. You actually, you're, you're talking about the 1980s just reminded me of a conversation I had with my son the other night. I was telling him that I had the very first cell phone, the first car phone, 
you know, and, and that seemed like ancient to him, you know. <laughs> so, how big was this thing? Like a brick? <laughs> uh, the, first, the first cell phone was a brick. The first flip phone was the Motorola. It had the little antenna you had to pull up. Yeah. And, and the flip part was just the mouth part. It isn't like the technology that we have now. The car phone was like a brick and it went into the center console of the vehicle that I had at the time. And it was three watt and the cell phones were analog and they were only half a watt. And you would be, you would literally have to be holding your head in the right spot to get the right signal with the first flip phones. And, you know, and of course they're charging you for a dollar, dollar fifty, dollar eighty a minute back then. You know, and, and my son, who's like eight years old, he was like, his eyes were popping out of his head. He couldn't believe it, you know, for just for per minute. And I, I reminded him, I said, Hey, you know, if you talked back in those days for one minute and one second, they build you for two minutes, you know, but it was just so funny to see the beginning. And I was explaining to him about, you know, um, I believe I remember before the internet was created and that, and saw the whole thing unpack. And, uh, you know, so of course I seem like a dinosaur to someone who has always had all of those technologies in front of him, you know? So, but yeah, uh, yeah it's like your kids are like my future kids. Like they'll have that. I was, you know, I was born in 1991. I feel like we, I was an, millennials so i feel like our generation had like part of not having too much technology and you know we played outside and did all that stuff but then like grow you know emerging into this technology and now we're, we're all here and we can live you know in a technology world you know i was called i call covid like the great accelerator right now with the virtual realm of zoom and all these you know like work from home and being able to live off technology we all realized then that and then tons of companies formated as a result of that so it's a really interesting time to, to live and our, our kids are going to have a certainly more advanced you know upbringing than than you or myself even <laughs> absolutely absolutely no it's uh, it's exciting to see just how quick everything has grown and uh, i agree with you the situation with the world in the last two years accelerated cryptocurrency blockchain and everything else like you said you know i'm sure zoom is thanking everyone for being a client you know so Mason, it was a pleasure to have you on here today and you're welcome back anytime. And uh, we'll have all the links uh, to reach out to you for our listeners on the episode blog post page. And man, it was a pleasure to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me on, Michael. It was a great session and we'll we'll definitely be, be back. Awesome. We'll have to do a video in the future and unpack some more content. Hey, if you like today's episode, definitely like and subscribe to the podcast, show your support and chime in here tomorrow for another special episode. Until then, make it a great day. Thanks for tuning in to New to Crypto Podcast. If you like the episode, be sure to follow and subscribe. You can listen to every episode on all major platforms. Have an interest in being on the show or want advertising? Reach out at newtocrypto.io. Head over to our site, newtocrypto.io, to access the resources mentioned in each episode. Until next time, remember to navigate the crypto landscape with pinpoint accuracy.